Hey everybody, John here from SNL Stats. A couple months ago, I got in touch with a podcaster named Ian Vermeglish, who has interviewed many SNL writers and former cast members. He suggested we do a crossover episode that goes out on both the SNL Stats feed and his Ian Talks comedy feed. We had a great conversation about podcasting and speaking to all of these incredible SNL alumni. The show was recorded a few weeks back, so I thought I would give you a little bit of an intro beforehand. If you haven't seen last week's show, in honor of the inauguration, we got together with Andrew Dick from That Week in SNL to analyze how SNL has covered each president throughout their history. We also have our latest Superfan Takeover and By the Number shows available now. And next week, we are finally back with our regular roundtable covering the John Krasinski and Machine Gun Kelly episode. All right, without further ado, here is my conversation with Ian. I hope you enjoy. Hey, everybody. My name is John from the SNL Stats podcast. And if you are listening on the Ian Talks comedy feed, uh, you may be a little bit confused because uh, right now we're doing a little bit of a crossover between myself, John from SNL Stats and Ian from Ian Talks Comedy. So for everybody else watching us on the SNL Stats YouTube page or the SNL feed, you've heard my voice many times, but I'm very proud and very excited to introduce my friend Ian from Ian Talks Comedy, who has done a lot of great work on his podcast in the past year. So Ian from Maglish, how are you doing? Doing great. Thank you for that great introduction. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, so basically, you know, this is the the usual off week interview. I'm not exactly sure when we're going to post this. We recorded this right in the beginning of the new year. And, uh, you know, Ian does uh, something very different with his podcast where he uh, interviews a lot of different comedy people and writers and and actors. And he has, you know, uh, months of content ready to go. And for us, we're a little bit more on SNL stats. We're a little bit more on the fly, but we're going to get into, you know, the content and how we go about each of our individual podcasts. But Ian, let me start with you. So tell me a little bit about Ian Talks Comedy, uh, what you do, how you got into it, and and why people should check out your show. Okay, yes. Um, thank you. So basically, over quarantine, I was thinking about what am I going to do with all this stupid knowledge I have in my head? Um, I want to share it with people as well as talk to the people who created the content that, that I'm a fan of. So I went and I try to find people who don't get interviewed on podcasts much. And I knew that in for Saturday Night Live, for example, um, Matt Newman is a fifth season writer and he wrote, he's written a lot of things, not necessarily the news. He has a great, um, almost like onion, like, um, newspaper par uh, parody. So I texted him. I said, are you the Matt Newman that wrote the Dave's Variety Show sketch on Saturday Night Live on May 10th, 1980? And he texted me back, why? And I said, because I really want to interview you. I'm starting a podcast. And he said, okay, no problem. And which I was shocked. And I called him and we did the, we did it. And he was like, you know who would really like to do this too is Lane Saracen. And I knew who Lane Saracen was because he did this movie called The Groove Tube in 19... 74 with Chevy Chase and Richard Belzer. So I knew who he was, and I was like, absolutely, I'd love to. And then I talked to him, and they were like, oh, you know who would be good? Um, Walter Williams. And I'm like, mm. oh, Mr. Bill? I'm like, yeah, okay. So they contacted him, 
And he's like, yeah, I'll do that. And I talked to him. He goes, oh, you know who you should talk to is Tom Schiller. I'm like, okay. And then Tom Schiller, they emailed Tom Schiller for me. And then it started, then um, I interviewed, those are some of my um, first couple episodes. But I was also into the TV show Night Court. Mm-hmm. And I founded the writers of my favorite episodes. And I found their email addresses and emailed them. And I said, I'd like to know if you want to talk about it. Uh, uh, Nightcore episode you wrote and the other shows, and they said yes, and I've gotten um almost every single writer producer from the show Nightcore, as well as Charlie Robinson who played Mac. Awesome. And that's great. And John, what about you? What made you decide to start your podcast? Well, um, you know, a similar thing, I guess. Uh, you know, quarantine certainly inspired like a lot of people to to try out new things, whether it was podcasting or you know doing some type of art or music. Uh, you know, you see all those jokes. Even even SNL made a joke uh, during the at home episodes about the master classes that everybody was starting during quarantine. So, um, I think it you know was a time for everybody to be inspired and do something that they uh, wouldn't have otherwise done and. Um, you know, for me, it was something that I, I, I'm a big podcast listener myself. I have some, you know, podcasts that I'm patrons of that, um, I absolutely love. And it's something I always saw myself doing. I just needed to find the right format for. And the reason is, is I guess some people who listen to my show on a regular basis would know my background, but, uh, I'm an event host in, you know, my, my regular life. I, I'm an MC for, uh, you know, different mitzvahs and and weddings and um you know private and corporate events and that all went away um in march and it was very weird when you're used to hosting you know 30 to 50 events a year and then suddenly you know the thing that you you get a kick out of that you you love doing you love interacting and hosting like that kind of goes away and um you know obviously I'm, i'm fortunate that you know that was probably like one of the the worst parts of the quarantine for me, you know, but, and there's a lot of people who had um, worse things that have happened to them. But for me, like it, it hit me hard that I couldn't do the thing that I was super passionate about. And so that, that was one factor. And then I guess the other factor was um, I was always a big Saturday Night Live fan. Um, I was one of my favorite shows. Uh, I kind of grew up in the, um, you know, Bill Hader, Andy Samberg, Kristen Wiig era, you know, that was my high school cast. And uh, it was something, you know, all the digital shorts and, and all that stuff was stuff that my friends and I would talk about every single week in high school. And they knew me as like a huge SNL fan. So I was trying to figure out what to do with that. And when the 40th anniversary came around, it really inspired me to say like, you know, if I really love the show, I'm going to go back and I'm going to watch everything from the beginning. And it was like a two or three year endeavor where I was watching every episode of SNL and I took very detailed notes. That's my obsessive compulsiveness <laughs> kicking in a little bit. And I didn't know what I was going to do with them, but I decided to create an account called SNL Stats on Twitter, where I figured um, I have this information that a lot of people you know, may not have thought of taking throughout the years. And I would just post statistics about SNL and it started to gain some traction. And I was able to connect with some people who um were somewhat connected to the show and really loved what i was doing and uh they kind of said to me they're like hey you should do more of this so uh yeah basically one plus one equal two and it was my passion in my regular life and then my passion about saturday Night Live combined into me creating this thing called snl stats which was started in september of 2020 oh wow so this is the first season 
this is the yeah this is the first season that we're doing this um no, and it's been really exciting. So for those who are uh, like checking it out on Ian's feed, um, what we do is we do weekly roundtables with other podcast hosts. So there's there's other wonderful SNL podcasts in uh, in the community, and I've got to connect with those people who who host those shows, and we invite them on our shows, and they get to you know talk a little bit and uh, be a guest where they could just kind of you know go off the cuff and give their opinions, and then. We welcome them. We welcome some journalists, you know, from Entertainment Weekly and The Guardian and the AV Club, like all different, you know, rotation of journalists that cover the show. They come on our panel. And then, um, you know, the thing that I was most excited about was connecting with the SNL community. So in August, I had opened up the opportunity for some super fans to apply to be on some of our panels. And that was that was great. I got to speak to, you know, meet a lot of really cool people and uh, develop some personalities who I think are going to be on our podcast for hopefully years to come. So you see yourself as like a Lauren? Like uh, <laughs> well, no, I mean, look, I, I'm not, uh, I don't mean like, I'm not trying to be Lauren Michaels. Anyway. Oh, no, that, I, no, I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't, I'm just saying you're creating the personalities and then you're going to step away or no? No, so no, def- definitely not. I mean, my, my intention is to still host these panels, but I do think that the, the great thing about SNL stats and what I'm developing, like I'm always a big believer, whether it's any business or any brand, like you need to be able to develop the brand as a personality just beyond, um, you know, if I wasn't able to do a show, it I didn't want it to be all about John. Like I wanted it to be about the show itself. So the fact is like, it needed to have like unique qualities to the show. Like the fact that we do statistics and analytics and the fact that we have a rotating panel of personalities, all that stuff was important. So if I was able to get unique personalities to come join the show and then develop them in a way like Lauren Michaels develops his own cast of people, um, you know, they can step in and host shows or they can develop their own shows on our network of shows, whatever it is. Like, for example, one of the things that we do, Ian, is uh, every single time there's a break between SNL episodes, we're doing something called a super fan takeover, where I'm handing the keys to the podcast over to some of our super fans and they talk about their history with the show. They play some games and um, it gives the listeners an opportunity to get to know some of these people so that when they're on the episode recaps, um, they're like, oh, yeah, like, of course, I know this guy and that girl and whoever else is on our show. It's interesting. Um, that's actually the first one I watched was uh, was the the panel with the with the top fives. Mm, yeah. And because there was a show on VH1. I think it was called top three and you had to choose like your top three singers, top three cover songs, top the list it was called actually. And they, and they would go around and it was four people. And I was like, Oh wow. I, mean, I always thought that'd be a good thing to do for SNL because everyone's got their opinions. And I saw it and I was good and it was really good. And then I was like, well, I want to see what the show's actually like. Cause the co- first thing was like the Sammy K um, was like, I'm not John. I'm not John. So I'm like, okay, well now I have to watch the show with John. Yeah, for sure. Like, look, Sammy's one of those people who um, he, he's such a good guy. And he's one of those super fans that came in and I interviewed him. And um, he he's, you know, straight up told me he's like, look, I, I haven't seen every episode of SNL like the way you have, but I love the show. Um, it was my bar mitzvah theme. And I was like, oh, that's funny. So he, his theme was like Sammy Night Live. And we always like joke about that with each other on the podcast. Um, and he just, you know, had a passion for this as well. So I said, like, look, man, like, 
if, if this is something you want, like I want this for you. And, and I've been very fortunate that I've had other people, other amazing uh, personalities that have like reached out to me and said like, look, um, I love what you're doing and I want to be a part of it. And I'm trying to find a way to get as many people as part of our show as possible. Because I, I, I do believe that, you know, beyond connecting with people and like, this is the way to grow the show. It's, it's to really like connect with the community and people who listen to it. And, um, you know, like that, that is, that will be the key to success because otherwise I'm just talking into a microphone every week. Um, but something, something else that's cool that we've tried because we're, we're always in like the business at SNL stats of like trying new things and, and growing is, uh, for the first time we did, um, uh, at the Kristen Wig show, the, the, the holiday show, we decided that we were going to go live right after the show and do two podcasts that week. So we did a live uh, recap at like 1 a.m. Eastern time where I had a couple of guests. Um, I had your friend from uh, from that week in SNL, Andrew Dick on with us. And I had uh, Sammy K that I mentioned. And um, it, it was crazy. I mean, I didn't I didn't expect it at all. I, I thought it would be fun. And we have like a few people interacting with us in the chat and we'd be like a little loopy. But um, there ended up being like, um, I think like almost a hundred people in the chat and it was just kept like scrolling by and people were asking questions. And I was like, it, it made me feel great as a content creator that I was able to, you know, start to build something that I feel like is like people, people want to be a part of. And um, I'm sure that you feel similarly about your show that, you know, like you're, you connected with this one person that you reached out to, you're like, okay, I'm just going to take a shot. I'm going to reach out um, to somebody. And then, you know, they connected with you with someone and it's word of mouth. And eventually you start building this thing. And it's like, it's almost like your baby. You get like really proud of it. Yeah. It's, I go by my batting average. I'm about 300 with you know 30% of the people that I try, I ask to come on uh, say yes. Most of the time you get, oh, no, thank you. Like Tim Meadows is like, no, thank you. That's cool. I'm, uh, one person called me a stalker, but that's okay. You know, that's fine. Yeah. I, I mean, look, um, these people are real people, you know, like, you know, it's, so it's, um, you know, and, and not everybody in, in terms of like Saturday Night Live, um, not everybody had a great relationship with the show. Like people, people went on there and um, felt like this was the be all end all for them. And then they turns out that they weren't able to like jumpstart it off into the career they want to, they wanted it to be at least. And then some people are like, you know what? I'm fine that I didn't end up being this like mega star from SNL. I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm happy with my experience. And then there are others out there that are a little bit bitter towards the show. And, um, you know, those are the types of people who probably don't really want to talk about it. It wasn't actually a Saturday Night Live person. Okay. I had nothing but positives with uh, the people from Saturday Night Live. But ironically, I tried to do a podcast about Fridays. Mm. And, that, and and Matt Newman wrote for both shows. So I was like, okay, I'll start off with him. And then, but nobody from Fridays wants to talk about their uh, relationship with Fridays. Um, mm. I actually talked to Tom Kramer. I don't know how familiar you are with Fridays. Yeah, yeah, that's the, that's the one that uh, Michael Richards was on. Michael Richards. Yeah, right. I'm not getting Michael Richards on or Larry David, but right. um, like the rest of the cast, they don't want to talk about their experience. It was not a happy, in retrospect, not a happy time for them. Yeah. What what I would say is like, um, 
don't give up on it. Like it's one of those things that's like, uh, as you continue to establish yourself, as you continue to do more and more interviews and as you're, um, you know, like to, to pull back the curtain a little bit, as your, your numbers keep growing, you become more of, um, like you're more legit, like when you speak to these people and then, uh, potentially they may be more open to having these conversations and perhaps it's, maybe it's not a conversation just with Ian. Maybe it's, you connect with somebody who connects with somebody and you do some type of, you know, three person podcast that, Talks about Fridays. I, mean, I would love that. But yeah. I've, gotten, I've gotten like, so from Fridays, um, I've gotten Kevin Kelton, who was a writer for Siren Live and Friday, Rich Wall, yeah. who was a cast member for both, um, Matt Newman, uh, uh, Tom Kramer, who was like their Tom Schiller, and right. Sam Sandora, who was a writer. And he, he's a really nice guy. That's another thing. I found out that a lot of these people are really, really nice. Oh, definitely. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's, um, like that it, it's so true that there are the, the a-holes out there definitely. And people who, um, you know, wouldn't want to have these conversations with just anybody, but, um, there are a lot of really nice people out there. And especially I do find that, um, I guess some of the like pe uh, people from like older generations and older casts when it, either when it comes to like any sketch comedy show, um, you know, they're kind of like, yeah, like I want to have these conversations and it's nice to do these things. And maybe some of the younger people um, have a little bit more egos about themselves. And um, I don't know, I guess it's, it all depends on the person personality, but um, Ian, I guess what I wanted to ask you was, is that when I spoke to you originally a few weeks back, you had mentioned that, you know, you kind of had a little bit of a stand up comedy career yourself. So uh, I'm curious to hear a little bit about yourself and, and how you got into comedy. Oh, Basically, I wanted to be a comedian since I was seven, eight years old. Um, I remember I watched, it was Saturday Night Live. Um, it was the uh, 4th of July weekend of 85. So I was seven and a half. And I watched, on Friday, Letterman did his famous when he wore the Velcro suit and jumped and stuck to the, to the wall. And then the next night was the best of 84, 85. It was a the one that they have on the Star Maker tape, but they actually, it was an actual episode. And I saw um, Martin Short do Ed Grimley. And I was like, I want to do this. And then the next time I saw Saturday Night Live, Pee Wee Herman was hosting and <laughs> John Lovitz was on the show. Right. So I'm like, I want to do this. So it was always, um, I was always writing jokes. And um, when I was in high school, um, a couple of my teachers would say, listen, if, I'll give you like three minutes in the beginning of class if you just be quiet for the rest of the class. Because I was, you know. But it was like, it wasn't like goofy humor. Because it was sort of intelligent humor because I tried to make the teachers laugh more than, and there was this guy, and you can cut the story out if you want to. Because uh, I had a teacher who looked just like um, Mike Dukakis. Okay. And his name was Mr. Just for the story, let's call him Mr. Dell. That's not his full name. All right. So he was my government teacher. And I also had another social studies teacher for homeroom. And so I asked my homeroom teacher, who's friends with Mr. Dell, I said, if Mr. Dell's wife were raped and murdered, would he support the death penalty for the assailant? See, that's not a funny joke now because that was the first question asked at the 88 debate of Michael Dukakis. Mm. Okay. The teacher cracked up in the middle of the class. 
because he knows he knew, you know, the story. Yeah. So, but then I started doing I started doing stand up for the first time in March of two thousand. I finally said I'm going to do it. Oh, when I was in high school, I'm sorry. I sold a, a couple jokes to Rodney Dangerfield. Oh so, wow, that's impressive. So I was very excited by that, and um, so I did some stand up. It started in two thousand and. Um, it went well, and the host said, "Come with me into the city. I got a gig." And it was like the second time I ever did stand up, and it was a really long bill. And Jim Gaffigan was on the bill. Jim Norton was on the bill. Tony Rock, Chris Rock's brother, was on the bill, and me doing my second time stand up comedy. And the person who took me into the you know I went into the city with him, and. It was great, and I did it, did it for ten years off and on. It's just that I couldn't do that thing that comedians have to do to become famous: to stay up all night every night, not have a another job or, or have like a temp job. I, I couldn't do that. I just, as much as I wanted it, I um, I had to get a real job, and uh, I'm a teacher. I've been a teacher for twenty years in New York City. Oh wow! Okay. Um... That's amazing. And I also saw that uh, for, for those who are on the SNL stats feed or watch on YouTube and haven't checked out Ian's show, um, the podcast art that Ian uses for his comedy is a picture of him with Lauren Michaels. So is that an interesting story about how you met Lauren Michaels? Yes. Um, it's like, was like the, one of the greatest nights of my life because um, the guy who used to direct the commercial parodies was a guy named Jim Signorelli. And he was there from 1977. The first one he did was Swill, the, which was mentioned on your podcast. And then he went all the way into when Matt and Oz and those and those the new guys came in, I don't know, 2015. So he was there for about th- almost 30 years. And um, he's friends with my uncle. So my uncle got me and – so he got me and my uncle in backstage to the uh, – Ryan Reynolds Kesha episode in April of 2010. Mm, okay. And I got to see the whole show. I was backstage. I got to meet Don Pardo. Wow, that that's amazing. I wish I could have. Yeah. And he and he he was sitting he was standing there by the donut table, which I heard that was his from various people I've talked to. That was his place that he that he hung out during the show. And he sees me and I'm the only one not working, so he stri- strikes up a conversation. And he's like, what's your name? And I said, Ian from English. And he went, ladies and gentlemen, Ian from English. And I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, and that's it, the dream. <laughs> right. And I'm, and I'm standing there, and all of a sudden this woman runs, and she like smacks into me. She's like, oh, I'm sorry. And then she runs away. Okay. <laughs> Perfect time for the cats to run, <laughs> run by. <laughs> exactly. So then I didn't know who it was. I couldn't tell. But. Next day, I'm reading uh, in the newspaper that Kesha, who was the musical guest, was like, I was so nervous. I, I was going to throw up, so I ran out of my dressing room. I smack, ran smack into this guy, and then I went, went out, and I, and I threw up in the, in, uh, the bathrooms. And I'm like, I was that guy. Oh, my and God, that's so funny. Really, that was Kesha. And also, I was sitting next to her, her family. That's where my seats were. Because her sister dressed like her with the crazy makeup at the time, and so did her mother. And her father was just there in a suit, you know, like looking regular, normal. Also going on was there was a twenty inning Met game that started at two ten in the afternoon, and 
when I got to the when I got to the uh, show, I'm watching on my cell phone. It's nothing, nothing in the twelfth and the thirteenth. So over my shoulder, I see I, I I see somebody's over my shoulder, and they're like, "What's the score? What inning is it?" And I look over. It's John Sude- John Sudeikis. Jason Sudeikis. Jason Sudeikis. Yeah. Take my take my uh, pass back. <laughs> Jason Sudeikis. And he's like, well, and I'm like, it's nothing, nothing on the 16th. So then every time they kept going to commercial, he would come out, and I was sitting in the front row of the balcony. And he would he would look at me and go like that, and I would be like zero. I'd give him the zero, zero, and then 18 or whatever. And then at the end of the game, he was like, that was a crazy game. He was watching it in his uh, dressing room. And then right. when, when he couldn't, when he was in sketches, he would look at me to me in the audience, and I would just tell him the score on the cell phone. So, so funny, that was cool. Um, yeah, I know he was like. Um, I remember because when you would watch the good nights of the show, Sudeikis was always in those like Kansas Jayhawks shorts. So he I know was, he's always been a big uh, sports guy, but I, I, he's not a Mets fan, is he? No, he no, he's a Royals fan. So I guess yeah. he kind of rooted for St. Louis Cardinals too, because it's the same state, right? But he was just involved in the game he was just really like you know what's the score what's going on and then after the game he was like was, you know thank you i didn't know it was and and then i was talking to him i was talking to um will forte and it was the weekend before uh, mcgruber came out and i was like it's mr number one at the box office he's like i'll be happy with like number seven at the box office yeah and that was will's uh, last season on the show i believe also yeah uh, so that that's that's amazing. I mean, um, I've also been able to attend the show once before, and it is just an incredible experience. And um, I was very fortunate to go during uh, season forty-two, um, so four years back, and it was it was just really cool just to be there and to get to talk to some people and um, just to see how hard everybody's working on a Saturday night and. Um, you just you you don't understand like the enormity of what they put on unless you're there. And um, easier said than done. I know a lot of people have tried to get to the show and have been able to, but I hope that you know I encourage for everybody listening to keep trying because it's just it's such a cool opportunity. And obviously, once we're once we're through this pandemic, uh, our friends at the standby line will of course uh, tell you how to get get in and stuff like that. Um, but that's really cool to hear all about your experiences. And um, I guess like the next place we should probably go is like. Tell me a little bit about some of the guests that you have interviewed in the, like some of your podcasts. Have you had um, any ones that really stand out to you? Ones like episodes that you say like, oh, if you're going to listen to uh, two or three episodes of my podcast, like listen to these ones. Okay. So yeah, I would say that if you wanted, if you just wanted to hear about comedy and you weren't a Siren Live fan, then this guy, Stu Kreisman, who was a writer for Night Court, and he tried to, he tells a funny story about the right after the first episode of Saturday Night Live, he walked into a studio with a sit with a he walked into the office with a big thing of sketches and um and they they threw him out because that's not how it works. And he just happened to see uh Garrett, Dan, and John Belushi walking in as he was walking out and he and it's a funny story but and but that's a good episode. Um, if you want it, also, um, another good episode is with Tom Kramer from Fridays and Bob Isles. He was a producer of a show that I really like, Fernwood Tonight, 
which was a parody of the Tonight Show. And if you want, you just want to hear some Siren Live people that tell good stories. If you're interested in the sixth season, which a lot of people love to talk about, this guy Mel Green, he was a writer that season, and he went through every show. I would say February, January, and February are going to be really good because that's when Neil Levy, uh, the episode I did with Neil Levy, who was a writer, he was the first go-to guy, you know, a production assistant. We tried to figure out Yvonne Hudson, where, where she came from. And then uh, Mary Gross is going to come out in, Febu- in February. She was great. She took with me for three hours. Uh, wow. About just, I mean, even get to her post-SNL career. No, Sabrina, the Teenage Wedge talk. No. And uh, I was going to ask her about Club Paradise and other things that she was in, but she just kept on talking about and it's funny, it was the day that they declared um, Joe Biden the winner because she was watching CNN while talking to me. And then every once in a while, she would be like, oh, they're in the streets. And she was very, you know, it was really cool. And I was asking her about different characters and sketches. And she, like, remembered everything from every season. So that was a lot of fun. And then I'm going to be talking to Mar- uh, Marilyn Suzanne Miller in a couple of weeks, which I'm really excited about that. And... I mean, any Rich Hall was a really good, really good episode too. Yeah, um, it sounds like it. I, I really, um, you know, these conversations with people who have, uh, you know, I, I guess if you're listening to the show, it's because you love SNL. So, uh, you know, to go back and to hear from some of these people that we haven't heard from in I don't know 30 years is really exciting to get all these these older stories. And um, so as an SNL fan myself, obviously a very passionate one, it's it's exciting that you were able to meet all these people and talk to them. A lot of it, you know, a lot of it Zoom, but uh, some of it is on the phone too. I haven't actually got to meet anybody because of yeah, virtually, yeah. Virtually, 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 virtually me. Yeah, and then coming up, I'm gonna have Dan Vitale. Right. Yeah. And um, I'm I got a bunch of people that I'm trying to make a date. Like have a date with sounds weird. Uh, Dave Mandel. Okay. Uh, now he runs Veep. Lou Morton, who helped write the Hanukkah song, and um, Alan Zweibel. Yeah. And Harry Shearer. Oh wow! Okay. Which is for Simpson fans. That's huge. That's huge too. And yeah, he, he's an interesting one with a lot of back and forth with the Saturday Night Live. So it's, that's that's an interesting one to interview. I'm not saying anything until I talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, that, that's, that's really cool. And um, is there like a guest that you would say, like, this is like the top of the line. Like I would love to get this person. And once I do, I feel like so complete about it. Ackroyd. Dan Ackroyd. Yeah. Bill Murray. But I know Bill Murray's not going to happen. <laughs> Because getting Bill Murray in a hundred million dollar uh, motion picture doesn't happen just in a regular way, right? But I, Dan Aykroyd would be really ha- Eddie Murphy. I mean, there's a, there's a lot. Okay, I almost had oh. Don Novello, Father Guido Sarducci, but not really good with the uh, electronics. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> that's pretty funny. Um, Okay, that's really cool. Um, and what about you? 
Uh, well, look for me. I mean, um, right now I'm, I'm just focused on, like I said, building the show with the community of SNL. Um, I was very fortunate like you to have Jeff Richards join us for a show, um, which was really cool. But, um, you know, it was great to talk to Jeff and I, and I, we were just trying to figure out what format works best for interviewing some of these um, former writers and former cast members. So I'm still like TBD on in 2021, how we're going to figure out how to do that because, um, you know, it, it, one of the things that I found in my conversations is that, you know, it's much easier for other podcast hosts, journalists, super fans to give their, you know, critical hard takes about the show. But when it's an alumni, you don't really care as much to say like, oh, that sketch last Saturday night kind of sucked. Like, you're not going to get the good um like recap and analysis in the same way you would from our regular panels. So I almost feel like the interviews similar in the way that you do them is like a separate thing from these roundtables that I'm putting together. So, you know, I'm trying to figure out how best to go about that. And, you know, that's why I think it's cool to speak to somebody like you and somebody like we also had an interview with a guy, James, who is a memorabilia collector and a member of the SNL community. And he, he's really great. And it's cool. Like I said, it's cool to meet other people from the community. And that's my focus right now. And I think we're going to get to speaking to a lot of these um, other guests eventually. And I know that uh, I've been in touch with people back and forth about coming on, but it's just, you know, picking and choosing our right spots. Right. I know that um, some people still watch the show every week that have been on the show. So yeah, d definitely. It's just that like, like, look, uh, like, let's say hypothetically we had Mary gross join us on a round table. Because even she, right. Yeah, it would be great. Like, I'm sure she'd have a lot to say, but the thing is, is like, am I going to get the heart? Like people want the hot takes about like what they saw on Saturday. And I just don't know that somebody who was affiliated with the show is willing to give that as much. And it's like, um, you know, one of my, uh, the people that I really look up to and admire in the podcast space is actually somebody that you knew, which was Rob Sesternino, who was on Survivor. And I'm a listener to his podcast. And when he recaps a Survivor episode, he'll separate some of his shows with former contestants. And he'll do like a little bit of like some feedback where he'll get like people call in and ask questions with former contestants. And I think that pro that format probably applies here as well for SNL, which is like is potentially the future of interviews with alumni on SNL stats, something where we get questions in from the community and mm -hmm. then it's more of a interactive experience. Um, you know, that's something that we're probably going to look to do at some point during the year. Um, but I just don't know when yet. That's yeah, that's cool. I mean, some people don't, you know, want to do their thing where they recap and some people want to do other things when they just talk about specific characters or, or people or sketches and they're all different shows for sure for sure yeah. and um like like i said there's there's so many cool podcasts in the community and i'm just trying to find a way for us to best differentiate ourselves right. so that snl stats is unique in its format um and one of the other cool things that we do, Ian, is that, um, and this is something that, like, this is my next show that I'm doing. I don't know, like I said, I don't know when our conversation is going to come out. But uh, one of the other things that we do in the off weeks is we do a very detailed analytics podcast. So for a lot of people who are really just interested in the numbers, that has been a difficult balance of figuring out how to put the numbers into our shows. Because if I'm having a conversation with you and I'm like, 
oh, um, Cecily Strong appeared only in 20% of the, the sketches in season 44, whatever it is. Like, I just make up some numbers for, for the purposes of our conversation. But um, I don't know if reading numbers to you is the most entertaining way to get the information. So I have been trying to figure out how do I best put this information into our shows? And, um, you know, we've done it like subtly during the roundtables. But what I have done is for like the people that are really nerdy about statistics, um, we do a show every off week or every time there is an, an off week between uh, between shows with this guy, Mike, who is like an analytics expert. He'll record uh, how long the cast members are on screen in a given sketch. And then we'll put them into a ranking and show them to you so that, you know, people who are watching the show are able to objectively figure out, is this person doing well this season or are they not? Yeah, that's it's, that's cool. It's a, like when you read the, um, I don't know if you read the websites with the reviews, they'll have like the MVP of the episode. And then they'll say like, this person had a really strong year, but you're doing it with like science scientifically yeah so here's the thing it's like um people who are listening to, to my show have heard me say this a million times but comedy is super subjective like people love all different types of comedians like if i go around and i ask if i pull a hundred member like let's let's play some family feud i'm gonna pull a hundred members of the snl community who is your favorite snl cast member you're gonna get a variety of opinions based on your demographics and based on what you find funny it's totally subjective um you know for every you know person who who hates um uh, like who hated Colin Jost. There's a million people who love Colin Jost. Like it's, uh, th there's just, it's just so subjective. So I'm just thinking like when I was a listener of different SNL podcasts over the last few years, and I'm hearing people say like, Oh, this person is kind of not doing great on the show. I'm like, is that because that's how you feel about it? Or is it because you're telling me objectively, this person is not doing well on the show and you're going to back it up. And you're going to tell me why and you're going to prove that their lack of success on the show is going to translate poorly to them potentially having uh, a, a great career out of the show. And these are things that I think people are interested in whenever you see a like a rookie or a first year cast member on the show is like, is this the next big thing? And I think we need to come up with ways to try and figure that stuff out. And hopefully we're kind of putting together the pieces of how to objectively analyze these things. I totally understand that. But and there's also people who are hired on the show and have always been who do one thing and then it's hard for them to do their one thing in a in a, in a specific week because maybe the person isn't in the news. Definitely. And, um, you know, this has been something that has been talked about for decades on the show is like, hey, if if I, like if all I do is play the press secretary and there's nothing to do, like, what am I going to do? And, you know, we've we've spoken with and as I'm sure you have with writers and with former cast members about how important it is to write some of the stuff that you want on the air. Um, when you get there, you know, you just can't necessarily rely on people to write stuff for you. And, um, I'll give you a great example. Like, um, one of the cast members on the show right now, Beck Bennett, uh, I've had a lot of people say like, how come Beck gets so much material? Is it because he's just like your classic white guy who is, could play a dad? And, and is that why he's in so many sketches? Cause I don't think Beck's that great. And that's, that's not my opinion. I'm saying like, that's the type of questions that we get. And 
um, the answer that I've gotten from from people who are affiliated with the show is just that, you know, on a Wednesday afternoon when Lorne and the writers and the cast, they sit around the room and they read out 40 or 50 sketches that the writers write and it comes down to Beck reading the lines that you as a writer wrote for the thing. Beck puts 120% into every sketch that is written for him. So people love to write for Beck and that's why he's in so much stuff. So when you look at the analytics and you see like, holy crap, Beck is in so much compared to somebody like an Alex Moffat, who is frankly really underutilized, um, you start to you start to like question why. And um, our, our goal is to kind of have those answers for you more than just like they like this guy or they don't. Yeah. Also, how many of those maybe of those 40 sketches Beck maybe wrote six? De definitely. So, so, so there's, there's just multiple factors. And then, um, you know, one of, one of the things that I've kind of, you know, discussed with, with our analytics guy, Mike, about, you know, trying to figure out a project for the year is like something that I'm hoping to do as we head towards the end of 46 and, and over the summer is like, when you start to look back at the 250 cast members of SNL that have ever been on the show, how many, of the cast members have been, would you say like had a successful career? Like, and what do you define as success? And then um, how, you know, how much is their success or lack thereof due to what they did on SNL? Yeah. Robert Downey Jr. For sure. Well, so, so what's interesting is like you have a bunch of cases of people who didn't do great on the show, but then killed it off the show. And then you have people who were great on the show, but then did nothing off the show. So you have outliers in both situations. But what I'm trying to figure out is like, if I were to chart, like make a graph and figure out, you know, where the correlation is, is it like you need to appear in, you know, this much screen time in a given season to be seen as being seen, I guess. Like, do people do people start to notice you? Do, do journalists start to write about your success? Uh, are you gonna get more calls from your agents about projects because you had this like viral sketch on Weekend Update where, you know, like Heidi Gardner, for example, she's she kills it on Update every yeah. single week. And I know that that is deliberate because being an Update star has been shown over the years to lead to a lot of success in your career. And, you know, somebody who doesn't get those update spots on in a given week is probably less likely to do well off the show. So like for me, I've always found this stuff fascinating. So I'm trying to just figure out the best way to um, tell these stories and give them to the listeners in a way that, you know, people can understand them. Originally, that was like where you would start out as a new person would be update. If you look at Adam Sandler or Eddie Murphy, his first uh, thing he ever did was he wasn't even in the, technically he wasn't even in the cast, and he appeared on update on his, in the third episode of the sixth season and did a uh, correspondence. David Spade on the uh, on the um, Andrew Dice Clay episode that was shown on Twitch yesterday. There, that's where they um, they used to be just a dropping point, and then you get into the sketches later on. Now that's with Leslie Jones and Pete Davidson are great examples. That's what made them. Definitely. And we're trying to figure out like, okay, so is, is the reason that Leslie is like, is she the host of supermarket sweep because she did weekend update? 
so many times. And it's impossible to know the actual answer. Like, we don't know that in an alternate universe, if Leslie Jones is just in sketches and doesn't, you know, hit on Colin and and has all those weekend update spots, if she ends up getting, you know, a host role of a network, you know, TV show. Um, you know, we, we don't know the answers to all of these things. But what I can tell you is that there potentially is a correlation to the audience relating to a cast member who has appeared on Weekend Update and has introduced themselves. Um, I was just reading something so interesting, which was like Colin Joe's uh, new book, where he was like debating with people backstage. Um, do I introduce myself when I start on Weekend Update? Because everyone looked at him as this like Seth clone uh, when Seth left the show in 2014 and Colin comes on and he's like, do I say like, hi, I'm Colin. And, and it's an interesting like debate. And these are the types of questions that um, I don't know if there's a perfect answer for, but I do know that like, I want to get into them. I want to discuss them. I want to try and figure out like, as we have the last couple of years gotten so much new talent into the show between like Ego and Chloe and Bowen and, you know, Andrew Punky, like all of these new people that have joined us the last couple of years, like, this is the future of Saturday Night Live. And we're, we want to figure out like, how do these people succeed best as some of our like older cast kind of moves on over the next couple of years. And you also have the stats from watching the original to see if there's a change. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. So that that's, that's what's cool about our show, which is, um, you know, no, not that doing a, you know, a sketch by sketch recap isn't great for some people who want to hear their opinions about, you know, every single uh, pre-tape and every single sketch. Those things are great. But sometimes, personally, I prefer to listen to more of an open-ended discussion about, you know, like the same way we're having a conversation right now. We kind of don't know where the conversation is going to go. Sometimes I like to, you know, talk to these unique personalities on our show and be like, okay, let's pretend that we're sitting at a bar right now. Um, you know, there's no COVID <laughs> and we're, we're sitting around and having a drink and talking about the episode. And there's certain things that I definitely want to get to cover. But if you want to go off on a tangent about something, like, let me hear where your, what your opinion is. I mean, yeah. And there were seven, eight, nine people in a cast. Um, at one time, and now there's 19. There, oh yeah, there are people in the cast who aren't even there. I mean, Ian, this is this has been the theme of season 46 for for us at least. You know, the first show I ever did was that was the main topic of our, our of our preseason show, which is like, how do you get away with having 20 cast members on a show? And um, certainly, you know, not having everybody there on a given week helps some people, but you know. For those who may have been inspired this year during quarantine, like the same way Ian and I were inspired to, you know, uh, start our podcast, may have been inspired to go back and watch Saturday Night Live. It is just a different show when you have a smaller cast. It is, you know, more cohesive in terms of getting to know the players that are there. It feels a little bit more um, like a, you know, you're going to attend like a, a production um, because you were like, oh, okay, I you know, I see this cast member multiple times throughout the evening and I get that they're a main part of the show and you really get to know these people. And I, and I ultimately think that we're never going to, Saturday Night Live is never going to get to a place where we're going to have six or seven cast members, but at least getting down to, I don't know, 13 maybe is seems like more reasonable. And I guess they're going to go with whoever does weekend update really doesn't appear in sketches. They've, since, since, um, 
Norm McDonald. It's yeah. So I guess the last person I would say that would did that. Like I mean, it was very for for a very short time. But like Cecily, when she was on Update, she did. She was still in sketches. Um, yeah, I mean, Colin and Michael did a couple things, but Seth really wasn't after he got an update. Uh, Amy Poehler was probably the last main person to do that. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, I think that that's part of the part of the solution. And what will be really interesting is if Colin chooses to leave at the end of this year, um, will Che stick around? Will Will somebody else join Che? Will Che do it by himself? I mean, we haven't had a solo. I guess we had we had Seth for a long time, but I mean it's been a long time since we had that run of like solo male um, weekend update anchors. Um, are we going to go back to that again? Cause I know that, you know, sometimes they like their pairs. So there's a lot of interesting questions as we kind of head through the second half of 46 and into 47. And always want to know like Melissa Villasenor, I mean, come up, I mean, she should come up with a character or, or something. I mean, she's a great impressionist, but for sure. And, I love the, the person who didn't really know how to do sex talk that she did with with um, as in season. Sorry, and I can't remember the other time that she did it. But I thought that was a funny character, but you couldn't do it too many times because it would be repetitive. But yeah, if you had more recurring characters, you'd have more airtime. She was look. I, I think Melissa's super talented. It's so funny because in the last couple weeks that I I did the show. Um, that we covered the actual episodes. We had the Timothy Chalamet episode where we had people on our panel compliment about how talented Melissa was at doing a Dolly Parton impression. Yeah, and then, and then the following week, she's playing Kevin McAllister in this Home Alone sketch. And I'm having people on our panel say like, why is Melissa Villasenor on SNL? And it, it, she's such an enigma. And it's just very unfortunate that, you know, I, I'm rooting for her. I think she's talented. I wish she got exactly. more of a spotlight. I don't think she is the type of cast member that would ever succeed on a 20 person cast. It's just, it's just not going to happen. She doesn't like, she doesn't stand out in that way, but I think on a smaller cast, you know, had she been on SNL like 10 years earlier, I think she's super successful on the show. Um, it's one of those things that's like, if you like, if you are on a baseball team and this like third catcher comes on and the catcher is like super talented, but you already have like your main guy and your, your backup catcher, you're probably going to deal them because you're like, okay, I don't have a spot for you and I can't give you games to play. Like you don't have enough innings for these people. And I just don't think there's like enough innings for somebody like Melissa at this point. Well, when you have Chloe, they pretty much do the same thing. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And Chloe's uh, being given more opportunity in sketches. So um, yeah, I, w I wish I could say like, something super pop. I mean, I love all these people. These are all like, they're all, they're all talented enough to get on Saturday night live. You, you always have to couch that, you know, any argument with saying that. Yeah. Well, tell me, cause I haven't asked you and I, and I ask like everybody who comes on my show, like how is, what has your opinion been on season 46 as a whole? Thought it, thought it was jumpy. Like there were some episodes where there were three really good sketches and then, a couple of not so funny sketches. I thought, for example, I liked the the Bill Burr. Um, the I really liked that sketch where he was the mobster and it, but he had to be politically correct. I thought that was really funny and and there are bits that were funny. And when Mulaney hosts, there's usually that's there's usually the Broadway sketch that's is um, pretty good. And like there'll be two or three very good sketches in a show that is either funny all the time or that's it you get two to three sketches 
There's only two really good things. Yeah, um, I, I definitely agree with you. There are some good episodes, some not so great episodes. Um, one of the interesting tidbits that we had, um, we learned when we had our Chalamet episode panel was we had Jesse David Fox on with us, who is a writer for Vulture and host of his own podcast. And he interviewed Lauren in the preseason, who told him that there's going to be some sketches where people, you know, only a certain number of people can be on stage with each other without a mask at a certain amount of time. And then they have to leave and replace with somebody else. And that mobster sketch, which everybody loved, if you go back and watch that, we had a cast member leave halfway through the sketch for no reason whatsoever, to only to be replaced by another cast member, which was something I didn't pick up at the time, but I was told later on was because of these COVID restrictions. So it's little things like that, that are really cool that we find out through meeting these people on our show. Um, but I agree with you. Like uh, the show has been up and down a little bit, but I would say mostly up compared to last season. Like I'm excited for a lot of things like season 45 wasn't the greatest for me. And, and I find that, a lot of things that they're working on. Um, I think they're listening to the fans and the community about, um, you know, making the show like a little bit more meta, um, showing a little bit more behind the scenes stuff, like little things that they're adjusting. And I think that like we're, we're headed to a good place. And the ultimate goal for the show is to be in a really good place by season 50. So I think we're like slowly headed there. I think so. And who would you think is taking over when Lauren retires? Um, you know, I, I probably haven't given like, I, I, I probably haven't given like good odds on, on this stuff yet. Um, I think everyone's on, under the belief that, uh, he's going to be there for 50 and then probably move on. Um, I don't think the show is ending. I think the show will continue. I think Higgins is probably the favorite at this point. Um, I know that, you know, I don't know if it's COVID related or it's in general, but I know he's certainly taken a step back from the tonight show. Um, and his role as like a Fallon sidekick. Um, but he's been, a, he's basically been a co-producer of Saturday Night Live since season 20. And I think that it's like a natural transition uh, for him to, to do that. Uh, would it be something where there's, you know, a group of people take it over? Like, is it possible that it's, it's like a Higgins and a Seth and a Tina? Like, is it possible that, and a keen in, like, is it possible that all these people come together and work on the show? Um, I know that wouldn't make a lot of, you know, comedy people too too happy about certain of the, some of those people. I don't think Tina would want to. If Tina was offered that job in nineteen in two thousand and four, but now I don't think I, I don't think if you gave her Lauren's job, yes. If you have her Lauren's job with other people or Seth, Seth too. If he if it was just Seth. I would, they, they would take him. I don't think they would take me a co uh, executive producer. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm just speculating. Like, I don't. I don't have. Oh. I don't have insider info. I don't think. I don't think the show knows. I don't think that. Um, I think it's a long time away. Um, yeah. Hopefully, you know, Lauren is in good health and and everything is okay for him to get to a point where he can you know choose to move on in the way that he wants to. Um, but you know, it is it is like the big underlying question for Saturday Night Live, like every single year, like that question is going to keep getting asked more and more as we move, move towards 50. And uh, I'm excited to see what the future of SNL is. And um, like I said, uh, this has been a, a theme on our podcast from all the people that have come on is like, how is Lauren going to be putting together his last cast? And I think that's where we're headed with these feature players that have come in in the last couple of years. Well, they signed the seven-year deals, so 
they will be unless they get um, unless they get a job on a sitcom that Lauren also created. Um, they'll be there, and most likely, and he's that's probably the handoff. He's going to give a good cast to when he hands off. I would think. Yeah, for sure. And, and the thing is, right um, I don't know that in retrospect, Lauren would like loved what he did for Forty. Like, I think he loved the show that he produced for season 40. I think everybody knows that he was super proud of, you know, all the people that showed up and, and all the work that he's done. And he was able to kind of like look at all the former cast members and all the hosts that were there for SNL 40 and, you know, say like, you know, be super proud of himself. But the actual cast that was there for season 40, that was still on the show, I think was in a little bit of a transition uh, when you just had like people like Sudeikis and Armisen and Wig um, like had all just left and hater. Like they had all just left the show season 39. They hired like five or six new featured players and half, you know, half of them were gone. And, you know, there was just like this big transition, like Seth had just left. And I just think like the show was in a really weird place in season 40. And I don't know that they want to be in that weird place for season 50. I think like the hope is that like the next cast of absolute all-stars will be in place hitting home runs every single week in season 50. Now, Lauren at season during season 40, when they were getting the uh, getting ready for the special said there wouldn't be a 50th anniversary special. I don't know if he was kidding. I don't know if that was him being presumptuous or whatever, but there's gotta be a 50th anniversary. I mean, how funny would it be if the entire SNL fan base is talking for years about this 50th anniversary show and then the show doesn't do one. Um, But I I cannot imagine that there isn't some way to celebrate it. I mean, it is an incredible achievement. Um, How many shows are around for 50 years? Like uh, the, the price is right. Like, you know what? The Tonight Show. Yeah, you know, there's there's not a lot. They had a 50, they didn't have an anniversary, but they, Conan I think hosted it the fiftieth, uh, fifty years of NBC late night they called it fiftieth mm-hmm. anniversary of the Tonight Show. Yeah, I mean it's gonna be a huge hit. I assume that if the network will be involved with regards to putting it together, and as long as the world is okay, I think people will be ex- like I'm I'm assuming a lot of alumni and celebrities are expecting that invitation. Sometime, anyway, right? So, I actually talked to people on my podcast who, who were there or not there, and they had a thing. Um, you had to be a writer for two seasons to get invited to the 40th. Um, so not everybody was invited because they invited all the hosts, which to me, I'd rather have a guy that was in the or a girl that was in the writer's room than to have Michael Sarazen or you know, pick a guy pick a guy from night or a girl from like 1985 that i mean ian it's it's all about star power i mean that's how the show is i didn't get to see everybody who was sitting in the audience yeah um yeah i know that that's very true but uh goldberg was there she never hosted she came on when robin williams hosted in 86 to introduce paul simon that was the only time she's ever been on the stage Uh, and she's sitting next to colin quinn i'm like why yeah, you're very right. She was also there in 20... Just checking my notes. She was also there in 2013 as well um, in the monologue with Justin Bieber. So, yeah, that's very true. I mean, look... Um, Dave Chappelle was there before he ever hosted. Yeah, I mean, look, fr- friend of the show, um, 
Yeah, I mean, uh, like local guy, I think, you know, there's a lot of people who they wanted to have there. And um, like I said, I, I think that a lot of the discussion, I mean, we're, we just hit 2021 and a lot of the discussion over the next three years is going to be about this big event that's going to be happening then. So um, I think a lot of the fans, a lot of the community, a lot of the podcasters, um, a lot of the cast members, you know, I'm sure that there's going to be cast members who are going to want to stick around just to be there for the 50th as well. So I think a lot of the conversation around the show is going to be headed towards that point eventually. What I would love if I if I could do the 50th season is that every episode um, have at least three former cast members. I know SNL has a cast. Um, I like that guy too, by the way. SNL has a cast. Um, oh, your- Hans, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But have Aykroyd and Lorraine Newman host the, the, the season opener. Yeah, so I mean, the fact that Lorraine's never hosted to me is is one of the biggest uh, shames. Oh, of, Jane. Yeah, Lorraine, Jane, Garrett. I mean, all have never hosted. Um, you know, like though though that would be cool. Um, I know Dan hosted in twenty season twenty eight, I believe. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, how cool would it be if the show for the entire run of season fifty? was only hosted by alumni. That'd be great. Yeah. And I'd like to see, if you if you don't think, obviously, that a Gary Kroger, Tim Kazarinski episode is going to draw huge ratings, you beef it up with the musical guest. Yeah, I mean, that. I mean, that's a little bit different because those guys were not Lorne cast members. That's, so, yeah, yeah, that's the other thing, too. So um, that would be interesting. I mean, neither was Eddie Murphy, but he hosted last yeah, year. Short. <laughs> right. Um, so, so that's, that's all very true. I mean, uh, that it would be like, there's no bigger payoff for going back and watching the entire run of Saturday Night Live than seeing alumni host or like, I'll give you an example on SNL vintage, um, last week, I think they aired the Paul Rudd 2013 episode okay. and it was Paul Rudd and one direction. And in the Paul Rudd monologue, um, one Direction comes on and then Paul Rudd says like, oh, you guys brought your boy band. Well, I'm going to bring my man band. And then you had all the people um, come on from Anchorman, which was like him and Will Ferrell and David Koechner and Steve Carell. But the real SNL fans, like you're looking at that and you're like, David Koechner was an SNL cast member for one season. And Steve Carell's wife was an SNL cast member for that same season. And you, you like, the payoff on stuff like that, you only get as like an SNL super fan. Otherwise, you're just watching and you just see like these superstars, which is great. But there's just something like so special about the nostalgia of like knowing the 50 the year run of the show. So whatever they end up doing for the 50th, like I can't wait to see it. I, I mean, I love that. Was it Brendan Fraser's monologue when when they found out that Tom Davis was just hanging out in the yeah. Back- stage for like 15 years <laughs> this supply, supply closet or something like that that was that was hysterical and i would have loved to have seen um dr jack badowski talking about coronavirus right he would have d- did a great uh i guess bunch of um uh, puns with with corona or covid yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, and it's like one of those things we talked about last week. We rewrote, we said, um, or a couple weeks ago, we said on our show, we're like, oh, it's too bad that we didn't have the target lady talking about COVID. Like it would have been a good opportunity to do that. But um, look, one of the one of the special things about these anniversary shows that they do is like, it's kind of like an all-star game 
where like you have an opportunity to see cast members from different eras appear in these sketches that is like it's like almost like there's a super fan takeover and these people are like putting together uh, their own dream cast and it's like oh imagine if we put Lorraine Newman in a Californian sketch like crazy thought but it's really cool when you think about it um, her character Sherry from the first couple of years, is it is a valley girl is from California that's yeah. far off that that worked perfectly so I mean like it's just it's stuff like that that um, the like SNL super fans and like like look I'm not saying that everybody who hasn't gone back and spent all their time watching every episode whether you were born after the show started or not is like shame on you but I'm just saying I'm, I'm born after the show started <laughs> no, no, no. I wasn't applying anything for you, but I'm just saying no. for, for any of our listeners, um, I just think that there is a great payoff for being a super fan of Saturday Night Live, unlike any other show on TV, just because of the the nature of the show, which is like there's this SNL universe that you may not fully understand and you might have like a little bit of like fear of missing out on if you don't you know, if you've not seen everything that SNL has done over the years. Yeah, absolutely. There's, um, I'm trying to think of a good example of something that somebody that came out and did something that you wouldn't even get if you didn't watch it. I guess Opera Man, um, I think uh, Adam Sandler did Opera Man before he hosted a couple of years before. Um, well, he did Opera Man at the 40th. Um, right. Yeah, and then he did it when he hosted. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, look, recurring characters and stuff like that. Like, you know, those those things are easy to see, but it's like, I don't know. It's like it's like little things. It's like you know how like um, like super fans of the show would probably know that like Chris Farley used to like bump his head on like this like piece of wood that um, like when they would he would like walk off stage like he would always hit his head on it. So people like. So like written on it was like a thing about Farley. And I remember like Seth during the 40th was doing a tour of the stage and like pointed out um, where like the Farley, you know, wood block is where he always hit his head. And it's like one of those things that like once you know that and then once you see like the backstage stuff, you can kind of like point it out. So it's like it's I don't know. It's like little things like that that I think are really cool that I think that, you know, by by listening to whether it's guests on Ian talks comedy or whether it's panelists on SNL stats, you get to hear some of these like behind the scenes stuff. If you haven't seen everything and then we can kind of like fill the gaps for you a little bit about like things about the history of the show. Well, right. It's we love the show and we want to educate people who don't who want to know more, who don't have the ability to have those episodes. Yeah. Well, Ian, let me ask you, like, is there, is there like an ultimate goal? Like, where do you see your, your podcast, like taking off and going? I mean, no, there's no goal. Um, except for the fact that I'd want to interview whoever I am able to interview. And then if I've interviewed everybody who I like and think it's funny and five years go by and I've interviewed 150 people or hundred people, this is my um, you're my fiftieth episode. This is my 50th oh wow, that's cool. So I, don't know, I get to two hundred, let's say. I think I've interviewed everybody who I think is fun, and I'll be done. Okay, that's great. Well, Basically, honestly, it's a cool thing to have on your bucket list. I uh, it started because I started not just because of quarantine, but also two of my all time favorite people, uh, Harry Anderson and Fred Willard, died. 
and I never got a chance to meet them. And this way I'm getting a chance to meet people who I always wanted to talk to and ask about stuff they did. And like, you know, Harry Shearer, when he comes on or, or the people that I've had on, you know, um, I've learned some short stuff. Like when Andy Kaufman, when he wrestled uh, the woman on the Christmas show uh, hosted by Ted Knight, he bumped the Mr. Bill sketch and Lauren told Andy Kaufman and his manager, you're never coming on the show again. I had to bump Mr. Bill, which sounds really, really funny. You know, he's, and, but Walter Williams said, no, Lauren had my back. I'm supposed to go on there. He went over, he's a professional. He didn't. And, and then Matt Newman also had a, a, a little commercial that they had to bump because of he went over with the with the with the wrestling, and I would never know that. Yeah, I mean this stuff is fascinating. So, um, like I said, if you're a regular listener to SNL Stats, I encourage you to check out Ian's show and and hear these stories. And um, one Ian former, is, yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, one former cast member had a drinking problem and did a whole season drunk. And you'll find out in February, it's not Mary Gross, who that is. Okay, that's a great tease. Um, so I love I love to uh, to hear these behind-the-scenes things. Um, Ian, is, is there anything you wanted to ask me about, whether it's about my show or about me personally, like anything you wanted to know for, for any of your listeners? Yeah, I'd like to know, um, when was your first, do you remember your first episode? Um, I, I know that I definitely watched... A, like a good amount like on and off during I would say like my earliest memories are of like Jimmy and Tina on update um, I remember like you know TV Funhouse and things like that like at that time but I would say like the first time that I seriously sat down and watched like a full episode of SNL um, that I was like okay this is the show that I love and then I'm gonna not miss any week after this was probably the Peyton Manning episode and I think that was in 2007 um and that was like it was such a good show and they had like um they had that like very classic pre-tape where peyton is like throwing footballs at the kids heads and um there's this locker room sketch which is like one of my favorite sketches of all time which is uh, will forte is like doing a pep talk um and this song from like casino royale like comes on and he's just like doing this ridiculous dance and um you know how you were like doing don pardo before but I used to like go to my friends and I used to be like Peyton Manning, you know, like I would do all that. And it was just like, there was something about the show that just got me like so excited. And I would say like Peyton Manning is like in my, like my heart, like my real first episode, but in my head, like I definitely had seen stuff before and like checked out little things here and there. Okay. And you're from our neighbor to the North. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and are you, th are you there now? Yes. So I'm in Canada uh, now. It, it's very cold. We're recording in January and it's, uh, yeah, it's dark and cold, but it's not my favorite time of the year. I'm, uh, ironically, I'm, I'm a very like warm weathered person. Like I love to be uh, like on a beach. That's my, my ideal, like happy place and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I'm in Canada and uh, it's great that Canadians can get, interact with such an Americanized show. I mean, What's the percentage of it? It's Canadian based. Well, uh, so many. I mean, Lauren is Canadian, so it's like right. Uh, right. The sh uh, Dan Aykroyd's Canadian. Like, there's just so many Canadian connections to the show. So, um, all for all my my guests that I've had on my show, they made me feel very at home with uh, all of the Americans. <laughs> and uh, I think Paul Schaefer. I read that they almost didn't hire him because they didn't they didn't want to have to get another visa. 
Oh, wow. Okay. All these Canadians working on an American show because, you know, it's time consuming. It's hard to, uh, let me see what other things. Uh, yeah, because I saw the, the Cubs thing on your uh, Cubs winning the World Series on your on your Facebook page. So I figured, oh, your wife must be like from Chicago or something. And then you came to America to be like a 90 day fiance type thing. And, you know, <laughs> I, no, none of that. So, um, so here's the. Yeah, no, of course. Um, it's uh, so um, I, I I don't have a wife. I have a, a girlfriend right now, but she is she's absolutely lovely, and um, we've been together for for over seven years, and um, we I was very fortunate that she was able to attend. Uh, she was able to come with me to Chicago, which is one of my greatest memories for game six and game seven of the World Series. And uh, I guess the quick backstory for any baseball fans is um, I live in Montreal and we used to have a team called the Montreal Expos. And they were my favorite sports team. I used to go to about, I guess, like almost like 60 to 70 games a year with my dad. Um, and then they left in 2004 and we got WGN on our TV. And like WGN was one of the, you know, kind of like how the Braves were on like TBS and the Mets were on like PIX11, I guess. But And um, so we got the Cubs on WGN up here. And I was like looking for a team to get into. And I'm I like, I love blue. You can see from my background and uh, something about the cubby blue and Len Casper, who was the voice of the Cubs at the time. Um, and I just kind of fell in love with the team. And, um, you know, in when I, after I met my girlfriend and the Cubs made the World Series in 2016, I had always made a commitment to myself. I said, if the Cubs are in the World Series, I'm flying to Chicago like I want to be there. So. Uh, they made it to game six and I flew down there and the game was in Cleveland, but I, I didn't go to the game. I just wanted to be with the Cubs fans and um, everything went right. And it was a crazy, probably the greatest baseball game ever, a great a game seven that went into overtime or extra innings. And I was there to, to celebrate and I went to the parade and, and yeah, I would say it was probably um, it was about six months before I went to SNL, but like between going to the Cubs, uh, going to Chicago for the Cubs World Series, and then going to Saturday Night Live, like that six months was just the coolest thing that I've, coolest things I've ever done. That's awesome because um, I was eight when the Mets won the World Series, so you know I want I want another one. I haven't seen it in a while. But... You're looking good. This this new owner looks pretty good. He does. Um, who's dominated? a season more who one cast member dominated the season the most, like most screen time. Um, so I, I would say that uh, Kristen Wiig is probably like your modern uh, screen time dominator. Um, when she was there, like she was with like Abby Elliott and Nassim and Casey Wilson, um, Jenny Slates, Michaela Watkins, but none of them really made it on the show to the extent that Kristen did. And, we were talking about how she kind of bridged the gap between this era, this like Tina and Amy era, and then onto this Kate, Cecily and 80 era. And for a while, for about a three year or four year period, Kristen Wiig was like the person that dominated, um, you know, in the last, like, mm. I guess, you know, 10 or 15 years. And then I guess the last person before that was probably, I know like Jimmy Fallon had one season where he was like, you know, almost everything. Um, Will Ferrell absolutely dominated the show when he was on and then um, I guess like Phil Hartman would probably be, be one of those guys as well. So. Oh, Cause I, I know you went back to all the way. I, I wondered if uh, Billy Crystal, his season, was he in 
So, so very small sample size. Um, he also had hosted twice before he was a cast yeah. member. I believe he was he was in the building for the first episode of Saturday Night Live. That is something that I've read before, and I believe they were planning on putting him on. To he, bumped, do... he got bumped. He got bumped. He got bumped. Yeah. So that's that's what I'm thinking of. So, anyways, he's had he had a relationship with the show prior to him being a cast member. So that is one of those things where, like, I would say him dominating season ten of SNL is probably like a little bit of an outlier because like he's like the big name star. But when you get to season uh, 12 and then you have this like Dana Carvey, Phil Hartman, like love it. It's like all the, like the new next best cast after the original cast. um, And then Phil Hartman starts to like take off. Like those are the careers that are probably the most fascinating because these are people who are starting from being absolute nobodies. And then they're only making it on their merits of being on the show. And right, and I because I always thought that Lovitz was in everything on in season eleven, and Dana was in everything on se- in season twelve. Yeah, so so like you have like a bunch of seasons where these guys, like for example, um, like Parnell was in a lot of stuff when he when one particular season. Um, like you know, like you have different. You're you're totally right. Like Lovitz and and Carvey, like these these guys, they had certain seasons. But if you look at like eras per se, like. You have like Phil absolutely dominated his era. Um, and then Will from like 95 to 2002 absolutely dominated his era. And, you know, he comes on with there's a bunch of other guys like in his cast that he's with. Like you have Spade and Meadows who have like and, and McKinney who have like lasted from the previous era. And then you're with um, Kitan comes on like later that season and Keckner and like a bunch of these people. And it's like, will who comes from nothing or comes from like nothing as being like a nobody nobody really knows who he is and then he like makes his way on the show and it has all these new characters and the the cheerleaders and and the like um the butabi like like all these great characters and he just like builds it on his own merits those are the ones that are the most fascinating for us to study because that is like how does snl or how have you you made it yourself on snl and is Gilda the original cast? Uh, well, so Ch- so Chevy dominates basically until the moment he leaves. Right. He is like the original star of SNL, um, and it's really the Belushi and Aykroyd show. Uh, I mean, Gilda's in a lot of stuff. Um, you know, like she's in a lot of Weekend Update things. She has like her Emily Latella. She has her Rosanna Rosanna Dana stuff. But I mean, the the fifth, fifth season's Jane. Yeah, um, yeah. So the f- the fifth season is, is a very weird season for analytics. This is one of those things that we talked about with with Mike because they bring on like all of these writers to be featured players, and they have Al Franken and Tom Davis become more involved, and then Harry Shearer is there, um, and basically like uh, it's at a point where you you would read this in like any live from New York like history book, but you know, Bill Murray and and Jane and you know like Lorraine Garrett Gilda, like all the original people that are there are kind of really tired of the show at that point. And like the energy is just not there anymore. So you see like the quality of sketches goes way down. And what you end up having in season five is less of a star studded cast after uh Danny and, and John go. Like it's really more of a like diversified cast. Um, so it, it's a really unique season in that way. That's like, what happened to SNL? <laughs> I'm actually, I like that season. Cause there's yeah. a lot of good in there. A lot of writers, writerly sketches. 
Definitely. And like you have people like um, like Brian Doyle Murray, who who does some stuff there and then they bring him back a few years later. He, never, um, he, he stayed to Dominion. Oh, I didn't know that. OK, I don't know if I knew, or I, I didn't remember that, but uh, he um, took over Herb Sargent's job of doing Weekend Update and being like the script supervisor. OK, so he was he around during season six, though, and then he. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Weekend Update. OK, Um I wouldn't say if I that was like the worst weekend. Update. I think Charles Rocket did it for a bit. Um, yeah, Charles Rocket was the cat was the was the person he. But Brian Doyle Murray wrote wrote for him. Okay, yeah, yeah, I didn't remember that. Okay, so I mean, look, look, look uh, even though we're the stats stats people, we don't we don't have everything off hand in front of us. But in the third season, Brian Doyle Murray, because they found out. I don't know if you know that story. Ackroyd finds out that they were budgeted for two more writers than they were using. Oh, I didn't know this. No. Rickroyd was going to start a strike, and he walked into Lauren's office, and then they hired uh, Don Novello and um, Brian Doyle Murray as writers. So then they finished the last two years of the original, and then Brian Doyle Murray stayed for season six because Gene Demadian's, like, top, whatever you want to call her, top lieutenant, is uh, Bill Murray's wife's sister. Right. Okay. Bill Murray stays. I mean, Bill Murray hosted that that year, and Brian Doyle Murray stayed. And then the next year, Brian Doyle Murray's doing the um, SNL news break. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That that um, he did, that, five, that years. He did five years. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 crazy. I mean, um, look, it's it's a great question. Like, who are the stars throughout the eras of the show? Um, and I, I find it fascinating. Like, I I love having these conversations. Um, look season five is unique in its own way and there's like i said people are gonna love it people aren't gonna love it and that's that's great for subjective comedy but like i said on our show we do like a little bit more objective stuff where we look at the actual numbers and talk about these things and uh as far as season five and the cast is concerned it's certainly like really stratified so it's it's a great example of a year to talk about that is um like different and unique to other seasons of the show and it's funny, it's like fifth year Jane just grew, you know, into a great, I mean, she always was a great actress and a great character actor, but they gave her stuff to do. Yeah. So, so I, you know, like she was one of my favorite cast members of all time, to be yeah. honest with you. I mean, I just think she's absolutely wonderful on the show. And um, one, I, I, I think it's one of the biggest shames of the show that they haven't had her back, you know, after her time on the show. Like the only appearance that she makes on the show is on season 40 during the 40th. And, the, um, and she was in the 15th uh, anniversary. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, and then I think she like couldn't make the 25th or something like that. There was, um, but I mean, I think like to have her do weekend update with Tina and Amy was very fulfilling. Like I was so thrilled to see something like that. Yeah. I know that her, she and Lauren did not get along when she was on the show and they, they talked through Gilda. Right. Yeah. I remember that hearing about that too. Um, yeah. And like, look, it's like one of those alternate, uh, like alternate universe things. But like, I know that there was, um, a season, I believe it was in 1987. Um, if I'm not checking my notes, but I'm just thinking nope. in front of me, or Gilda host, but yeah, there was, there was a writer strike. So, um, back to host. yeah. And then she, she, unfortunately she passed before she had an opportunity or got sick and she wasn't able to, to come back to host. And, um, you know what? What a show that would have been if we would have been able to have a Gilda Ratner hosted show in the 1980s. Um, it would have been probably like one of those shows that you would be seeing on repeat for decades to come. 
And there was another writer's strike in 85 that killed two episodes. But one of them that was scheduled and they even did a, a bumper for was uh, Eugene Levy and John Candy hosting. And yeah, Eugene, I, Eugene Levy has never hosted the show. It's crazy. And and you know what? If there was a year for him to do it, it would be this year um, because yeah, yeah. of Shit's Creek and everything. So, right. Um, yeah, or maybe him and his his son. We haven't had a like a a family two people family host in a long time. We used to have like the Smothers Brothers. Um, where so we, how cool would it be if like the first episode we we like I said we're recording this on the first of January. Um, by the time you're listening to this, you'll you'll known who probably the hosts were for January and maybe February. But um, you know, like how cool would it be if we find out that like Eugene and Dan Levy are like the hosts of one of the upcoming episodes? Great. That would be awesome. But do you think the problem is maybe the writers wouldn't know how to write for a character they might not have seen? Um, elaborate on that. Okay, so I'm 23 and I'm writing for Saturday Night Live and Eddie Murphy comes to host. Do I do I know Mr. Robinson's neighborhood? Um, well, look, it's a, it's an interesting question. Part one is that generally when a host comes back, they're going to bring a couple writers from their era as well. So if you're going to do a Mr. Robinson, like you're going to bring back a couple writers who have written that sketch in advance, you know, the same way that, uh, James Anderson wrote a couple of Kristen Wiig sketches from a couple weeks ago. So it's like, there, there's that, but I don't think that as much that that's as much of an issue as people think it is. I think that you, when you have an alumni come and host, if they want to do a particular character, they're going to do it. Like if, if Kristen Wiig doesn't want to do the target lady, she's not going to do it. Even if somebody comes up with a great idea for a target lady sketch. Um, if Eddie Murphy didn't want to do Gumby or, or didn't want to do Mr. Robinson when he came back, uh, in 2019 they no. no they wouldn't do it so I, I don't i don't think the it's not a writer's problem if if you see like oh like why didn't uh why wasn't there a garth and cat like it's not a writer's thing it's just a matter of like there's can they get the like um here like i said like i was just watching this paul rudd thing this episode from 2013 and they did a bill brasky sketch and i remember at the time i think it was like tim meadows was like why didn't you guys invite me to come be a part of the Bill Brasky sketch. I was in all the other Bill, Bra Bill Brasky's. And like, I just think there's just like a lot of factors that goes into these things. Like, can you get all the alumni back to, to be a part of a sketch? Like some people, like maybe at the time, Will and Keckner didn't really care to have Tim Meadows there. But, um, you know, maybe like somebody like, uh, like Kristen says like, I'm not Zooming with Fred to do Garth and Kath. Like if we can't get Fred in the building, we're not going to do it. So. Right, like. Maybe that's why Piscopo didn't come on the Eddie Murphy episode, which a lot of people thought he might. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think that is like probably like a different situation where like, I don't know about Piscopo's relationship with the show. Um, I don't know about Eddie's relationship with Piscopo, but. The 40th anniversary as Sinatra. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I just don't know. Like, that's what I'm just saying. I'm just speculating. Right. No, right. Um, like would 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 Ebony and Ivory track in 2020 the way it did in 1982? You know, like is it... I'm thinking of I'm thinking of Solomon and Pudge. Right. Yes. To, uh, I'm thinking of like the lesser known characters that maybe the writers don't know. I mean, I can tell you that 
I'm sure I wasn't the only one that turned on the Eddie Murphy episode and was waiting to see if Piscopo was going to be there. I mean, so I was thinking. So um, he wasn't because he has a radio show and he said he wasn't invited. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, in general, like you know, you you kind of hope for these things, and Arrow would just show up. Yeah, for sure. So uh, to to answer your question like more clearly, um, I don't think there is like one particular answer. If you have an alumni host and you want to see some of these old sketches, it, it it doesn't have to do with the new writers on the show and them not being able to write. Um, it, it more has to do with like circumstance. Like, does the host want to do this sketch? Are they going to bring back the writers who were credited with coming up with the concept for this sketch? And can they get the alumni that were originally in the sketch in it? And if they can't, can they do it without them? Yeah, like sometimes Dana Carvey does a church lady and sometimes Dana Carvey doesn't do a church lady. I think he's hosted four times. Yeah, four times. Twice he's done the church lady and twice he didn't do the church lady. Yeah. He might not have had anything to go with. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's all, like I said, it's all circumstantial. Um, but, you know, that's what's fun about talking to people from the SNL community is just that you get to speculate about this stuff. Like, as soon as we hear that, like, if we find out that Dana Carvey's going to host in, in 2020, we start speculating. Like, are we going to get a church lady? Are we going to get this character? Are we going to get, is, are we going to get an H.W. Bush from beyond the grave? You know, like you talk about this stuff. Is a Hans, are they going to call Kevin Nealon and do a Hans and Franz? For sure. I mean, something that they haven't done in a very long time. I hope that in the next few years, as we head towards the 50th, we get to see some of these people um, before it's too late. Yeah, I'd like to see. Uh, I'd like to see Chris Chris Elliott do something funny on Saturday Night Live. That that was my senior year of high school, the ninety four ninety five season. Oh, cool. Okay, that's that's a crazy year for being your senior year of high school. Right, and I remember playing Super Nintendo and listening to the, the guys, the radio DJs going, gee, do you think Chris Elliott's going to do Weekend Update this year? Because got to get Kevin Nealon off. And I'm like, I'm thinking, I don't think he's going to do Weekend Update. And I, Norm did make Weekend Update, and he was like the highlight of that season. Definitely. Um, there are some good sketches in that season. The Quentin Tarantino's Welcome Back, Cotter. It's a very unique and weird season, um, but <laughs> yeah, I had to talk to two people from that season. I'm going to ask them. I want to say in a nice way, like, what happened? <laughs> um, yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> for sure. I mean, we, um, I, I think, like, look, if I ever get an opportunity to go back and rewatch the entire run again, which took a lot of time, but maybe I find a quicker way of doing it. Um, that is a weird, weird season. So the weird seasons are the ones that sometimes are the most interesting. Oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of season six and season seven. Yeah. Five. What do you think are the two best seasons? Um, That's a great question. I don't know if there's a good answer for this. Actually, I think it would be, no matter what I said, I think it would be a little bit controversial. Um, I would say, I don't know, because, you know, people love like eras of the show. I would say, like, you probably, you would have to say, like, something. Okay. So I think, I think here's the right way to answer this question. If you go through the eras of the show, I don't, as much as people love the original cast, I don't know if there's a season in the original run that I would say is like perfectly high quality. I think the cast is incredible. It made the show, it's historical. But if you look at the actual sketches, I don't know that there's one that I would say is like the best season ever. And then during the Eversol era and the Gene era, like, I mean, I don't think there's anything there. 
And then you start talking about like that next all-star cast, which is the Carvey, Nealon, um, Hartman one. And I think if you look like somewhere in the middle there, like some somewhere, say, say it again. Season 14, 88, 89. Yeah, so that, episode in that whole season. So that's what I was going to say. So if you, if you start going there, like somewhere in that era, like right in the middle, like um, I think in season 14, is that the one right before? I think that's the season where. Mike Myers in January. Yeah, so we get, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. We get Ben Stiller and Mike Myers. Um, and yeah, it's just like that cast is like hitting on all cylinders at that point. So I would say probably like the season you're talking about, 14, would probably make sense. And then we get this like weird transition where we're kind of kind of like where we are now, where we have like a ton of cast members. We get like a lot of the movie stars come in, your your um your Farleys and Sandlers and Spades and Schneiders and like all those people come in and um, I don't know that the the show is as high quality, and it certainly dips as you head towards that, like throw it in the trash and get to probably the next interesting cast, which is like the the Will Ferrell, um, you know, like uh, Fred Wolf, like uh, like uh, like uh, Ten, like all the people that come on mm. in twenty, and maybe there's something there, like probably pre Tina, that like is is probably hitting on all cylinders for a lot of people as well. And then there's a lot of people who don't like those like, you know, 2000 to 2005 years. But like me personally, I think like something like um, season, you know, somewhere in like the 2008 range where you have this like Fred and Sudeikis and Forte and Hader and uh, Hammond is like finishing up his run on the show and Polar and Wig and Myers. Like I think that cast is like the modern day great cast. And I would say if I had to pick, this is a long answer, but if I had to pick two seasons on the show, as I'm working this through in my head, I would say probably like you said, season 14, and then probably like one of the seasons in like 2007, 2008, where we transitioned off of like Tina and Horatio and Rachel. And we got into this like next all-star cast, which is like the modern day um, all-stars. Right. When was the strike year, though? I think 08, 09? Um, I think it was, yeah. So it was probably, no. it was spring 2008 right. that there was a strike. So, yeah. 07, 08, because Pardo turned 90 on the first episode they came back. And Tina hosted. Right. And yeah. what's her name? Uh, Maya? Uh, Want to go to rehab? Amy Winehouse. Oh, Amy Winehouse. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Was a musical guest on the last episode that was that was canceled due to due to the writer's strike. Yeah. So so like around that time, I think the yeah, I think like you can watch any SNL episode from like those seasons, and there's just like great laughs and funny sketches, and so I would pick like it's hard for me to give you a number, but I would say like one of those seasons, and then one of like the Carvey era seasons or Hartman era seasons. Like those two are probably like if I had to, like an alien comes to our planet and says like show me your best SNL seasons. Like I probably had to pick <laughs> those two. I wouldn't say can I just show you sketches because <laughs> that's not, probably the right that's probably the right answer. Yeah, you're gonna get weekend update which you won't understand unless you've been looking at newspapers from 1977, or whatever episode you watch. But I, I, this is the difference though. The first five seasons are a variety show. Yeah, it's 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 a different show for sure. They have like you know uh, Diana Nyad a video uh, a video about her life, and it was just a five minute non funny you know movie. Yeah, and you had Gary Weiss's video 
uh, movies that not always funny, interesting. So it's hard when you grade them on, like I've seen the, the guys who grade them, like you get to grade this movie, but it's not meant to be funny. It's just meant to be interesting or variety. Yeah. So it's tough. I like the third season. Of yeah. Because, oh, that's a, that's a great one. And the f- most famous episode, the uh, Steve Martin Blues Brothers episode. I read Tom Davis's book. I don't know if you read that one. Um, um, yeah, I've had my eye. I've read. I've skimmed through it. That's is that the uh, King Tut episode? It's a King Tut episode. Yeah, he wrote four sketches that got in: Theodoric of York, uh, the the Troughton Brew, the rest. You know, the rest of the. Um, Next week in review about the uh, the uh, psychics having a talk show about what's going to happen next week, and one other sketch I can't remember, but he got four sketches on that show that was eight sketches long, and one and one of the sketches was uh, King Tut, which was a musical performance. Hmm. So that was almost all Tom Davis, two with Al Franken and two by himself. It's crazy. It's, it's crazy how, how much. Uh, one, I'll tell you one other story, and then, but when Eddie uh, hosted the Christmas show in '84, Kevin Kelton told me the story that they had a sketch that was going to be like something that was going to go from uh, for the whole show, sort of like a wraparound, and the thing broke on Thursday night. Wow! So Ebersol took four of the writers, the ones he trusted that didn't use, and he locked them in a room, got them soda and pizza. Locked him in his office and said, "Write something." And they wrote the um, they wrote the buckwheat faked his death. Oh wow! Okay. And most of that material for that episode was written by by Kevin Kelton and three other writers: Andrew Kurtzman, Elliot Wald, and um, Nate, Nate Herman in Dick Ebersole's locked uh, office on a Thursday night. That's crazy. And. There was another sketch with uh, Christopher Guest where he plays a uh, uh, antique uh, at a, an antique shop, and he's the you know ten give me ten give me twenty give me twenty um, yeah, and he's like I got just enough just enough air for these baby ducks to live. You know what that sketch I'm referring to? Yeah, yeah. That was written. Basically, they said let's sit there and just type until something comes out that's a sketch. How long will that take? And it was just stream of consciousness. And they wrote. So those are the things that you know. It's so I fascinating, get, all this stuff. Um, I get to learn from talking to the writers. Yeah, and I'm I'm so impressed. Like I said, um, as as a like fellow uh, podcast host, and I'm I'm very impressed with you know everything you're doing, and um, you. I'm really excited to have gotten to connect with you. And um, is there anything else you wanted to like ask me before we wrap up? Do you think there should be a museum? Uh, so this is okay. So th- uh, the the answer to this question is I will refer you to another podcast we did with our friend SNL uh, James, who uh, he is a memorabilia collector, and we had this exact conversation on the podcast about how there definitely should be a museum, and there should be people who take care of all of the SNL props and um, and everything that is you know happened on the show. Similar to that, there is a Hall of Fame in Cooperstown for baseball. This is I. This is Friday's. Oh, cool. This is their jacket. 
<laughs> so it's so funny. So I had I had James show me his SNL 40th jacket and you're showing me your Friday's jacket. So it's cool. So you get it. Like it was the same conversation we had with James, how uh, it's important for SNL to preserve its history. So the answer is definitely yes. Oh, one last question for you. Is there another show? Now, I know obviously there can't be another show like SNL, but is there any other show that you really, really love and has not spent this much time thinking about, but a little bit of time? Um, well, 24, I would say is, is like, that would be, that was like my show that I was absolutely obsessed with. Like, um, like we talked about, um, Sammy K, one of our, one of our podcast hosts who, um, he had his bar mitzvah theme with Sammy Night Live. My bar mitzvah theme was 24. Um, and I had a, like a friend of somebody in our family who contacted Alicia Cuthbert who played Jack Bauer's daughter. And she sent me a signed script and signed DVDs and um, everything was 24 themed. And uh, that was something that I was, I loved that show growing up and um, say like that and maybe like friends, but uh, I think friends is a very common answer for a lot of people. So I, Night Court was my other, is my other, is my sitcom. Yeah. And Letterman. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I'm trying to get Meryl Marco to come on. Yeah. Well, look, keep keep trying and keep going with all these things. And uh, also, I'd say, like, Survivor and Big Brother, like, my reality TV. Um, like, that's another whole other side of myself, but uh, it's a whole other conversation. That's my wife's side of the television. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like Amazing Race. Yeah, I do like Amazing Race, too. But um, I grew up on, like, Survivor and Big Brother and all that stuff. So that's, that's like... Um, I'm I'm a big super fan of those things. When the show was announced, I thought they were going to put people on an island and then see which one survives. That I would have watched. But then they had, <laughs> but then there was competitions and games. I don't want to see that. I just want to see seven people on the island, one person survives. Yeah, you got to watch Lost for something like that. Um, <laughs> so. Um, yeah, no, that's very true. Well, well, look, Ian, it was it was so great to get to catch up with you and talk. And and um, like I said, the fact that we have similar interests and passions about this show and, and are doing something with them is is amazing that we can go on for an hour, 45 minutes or two hours and just talk about this stuff. I'm sure we're going to continue to have these conversations and I hope to get to connect with you and collaborate again as we move forward. Sure, absolutely. So tell everybody for you know, on my side, at least where they can uh, hear your podcast and connect with you. Okay. So Ian talks comedy is available on Google podcasts, or you can go to anchor.fm slash Ian talks comedy, or it's on Spotify. That's great. And uh, for everybody who hasn't checked out the SNL stats show and is listening on Ian's feed, um, it was really nice to meet all of you. I hope that you enjoyed our conversation that we had today. And I hope that you come over to check out some of our shows. Um, we make all of our shows available on YouTube. So you can watch any of the conversations that we have with our panelists. We put up some stats on the screen and it's, it's kind of like watching um, for those who like fantasy sports, like you got to watch um, a little bit of like uh, fantasy SNL where we talk about uh, different things that happen and, and show the statistics so you can analyze the show in your own way. Um, we're going to see if we're going to continue to do live shows um, after some of the episodes. And then we also have our off-week content where, like I said, we get into the analytics um, in our By the Numbers show. We do a super fan takeover. We also have some interviews. So I'm really excited about 2021 and all the stuff that comes with it. You can follow us at, at SNL Snats on Twitter or Instagram. Um, and you can also subscribe to our show on any podcatcher or on YouTube. Uh, subscriptions really help 
with us to support our show. So uh, make sure to subscribe like you would to Ian Talks Comedy. Well, I am subscribed to you on, uh, on uh, YouTube. Well, thank you very much. And uh, I'm subscribed to your feed as well. So uh, it was really great to connect with with Ian and uh, hopefully to hear from more people in the SNL community. And I'm sure we'll be in touch with Ian over the next few years. So uh, thank you all for checking out our show today. We wish you a very happy holidays uh, from the time that we were recording this and hope that 2021 is great for you. So uh, we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.